Somebody say this with me. I hunger. I hunger for you, God. I hunger for growth. I hunger to see the goodness of God right here in the land of the living. I hunger for peace. I hunger for righteousness. God, I hunger for you. And so, Father, right now we come before the table. We come to seek you and you alone. Not for the things which we'll find at the table, but I come for you, God. I come for our relationship. I come just to sit down with you and partake of being in your presence. We thank you, Father, for your presence that's already been in this place as we've worshipped this morning. And we know that it continues. We know that the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it breaks every yoke. It breaks every bondage. I thank you that who the Son has set free is free indeed. So we declare this morning, we are free. We are free to walk in your goodness. We are free to walk in your wisdom. We are free to walk in your provision. We are free to walk in your health. And so this morning we just say, thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, did you come ready and fired up this morning to follow along? Man, I'm just so stirred up today. You know, I, I had a, a direction that I thought we were going to be going for this week. And about Tuesday, God began to drop a different message in my heart that we needed to address before we go on to the next one. And I'm just so excited about it. You know, we're living in great times. Okay, I got to say that again. We're living in great times. Despite what you may have seen on your Instagram, or on your Facebook, or on your TikTok, or on your CBC, CTV, Fox News, CNN, whatever it is you may have watched, we're living in great days. I believe God has saved the best for last for his children at the end. Man, there are good things awaiting you. You're not of the world, so you don't have to look to them and go... Oh, how's the wind blowing today? No, you look to your God and say, God, I thank you for the great things you have for me today. Oh, man, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you're going to be filled with something, you might as well be filled with the joy of the Lord. If you're going to be filled with something, you might as well be filled with his peace and his love, his righteousness, his forgiveness. Man, if you're going to be filled with something, be filled with God. You get the choice. Man, he said he would fill you up to the overflow, that the Holy Spirit would come and make his home on the inside of you, and that he would be with you forever. And as we preached for the last six months of 2021, he said that you shall receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're not some weakling. You're not someone who's been left helpless and defenseless. You're not subject to what the world does. You've got the greater one on the inside of you. And as John the Beloved said, if the greater one's in you, who can be against you? Man, I think of that old stupid commercial that used to be on TV. What's better than bad boy? Nobody. What's better than God? Nobody. Come on. That's what's on the inside of you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, I was going to take some time to pray before we got going on, but Jessica already preempted me. She prayed, declared over the government. She spoke over our nation. And you've got to be praying in these times. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. You better be in prayer and getting God's ear about things. Man, you better be letting your government know what you think. They don't get to do what they want. They're subject to you. So you need to let them know. You need to pray for them. 
Man, if, if you're going to do anything, you got to pray. That should be the first thing. As Paul told Timothy, he said, pray for those who are in authority over you, that you may live peaceable while here on this earth. He says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Come on, if your heart has not been stirred to prayer in this time, my goodness, you've got to shake yourself and get back to the table. Because their God is doing things in this time. And if we look throughout history, whenever there's times of great upheaval in the natural, there's also things breaking loose in the spiritual. And so if you stir your heart, you can be on the forefront of what God's wanting to do. And he can be positioning you and moving you around to where you need to be. To keep you safe, to keep you prosperous, to keep you in the place that he has called you to be. Amen? Amen. Woo! Okay, I'll slow down a bit. I'll slow down a bit. <laughs> I'm just finding it so dry in here today. I may need some more water. Hallelujah. And so as we were finishing up last week, and if you didn't catch last week's message on uh, I Am the, the Bread of Life Part 2, man, you want to go back and you got to check that out because we were talking about this question right here. How do we experience the presence of God regularly? You know, as we look across, and I've been a Christian for a long time, I've known people who've been Christians way longer, and I've noticed that there's ebbs and flows of our relationships. There's times when it feels like we've, we've just, like, feel the presence of God in such a tangible way, and then they go through times of their lives where it's just like, man, I could swear I just ate sand, you know? So dry, so dry. But that's not what we've been called to. You can experience the presence of God on a regular basis. And as we spent a lot of time in the last seven weeks, this is week number eight, we were talking a lot about what Moses said, and where God said, you get up and you go on. And Moses said, God, if, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't bring us up from here. And Moses had the audacity to say to God, God, show me your glory. I want to see your manifest presence right here on this earth. And God didn't say, Moses, you asked too much. Moses said, it's improper of you to ask. He said, no, I'll make my goodness pass before you. I will be merciful on whom I will be merciful. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And so the presence of God is something that we don't have to go through long spells without recognizing that it's here right now with me. And so we were saying, how do we experience the presence of God regularly? And number one is first acknowledge him. As the book of Proverbs said, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. If he's present with you always, if he's an omnipresent God, it means that he's right here, right now. Acknowledge him. God, we thank you that you're here with us in this place. We know your word says that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of us. That means right now he's walking in the midst of us right now. He's right here in between you. He's not over there. He's not out there. He's right here in this place with you. He's walking amongst you. When you walked through the doors, you brought him with you because there's nowhere you could go where he is not. And it's just like the psalm that David said, where could I go where I could flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. So if you're here on earth, guess what? You're stuck in between. He's there too. And so if he's here with us, acknowledge him. Start your day with saying, God, I'm so glad you're here with me. I ask for your help right now in this day. Not when I need it, but when I don't. I ask for it right now. Right now. So acknowledge him. Number two, we said invite him into the mundane in the things that you don't need help with. 
When you sit down at your desk or you get into your car or you're sitting down to eat with your children, just say, God, we invite you into this moment. We invite your grace to empower us right now. We know that there, you always daily load us with benefits. So right now, we receive those things which you've prepared for us. We choose to walk in them. We invite you into this moment. And 20 minutes down the road, when you remember it again, God, I invite you into this moment. And let him get involved with you in whatever it is you do. He's already there. We might as well work together. And that's why it's the Holy Spirit work takes hold together with us. He takes hold together with us because he's present, so we invite him in. You know, if we don't invite him into the simple, we'll miss him in the struggle. Because the thing is, when you're already in the midst of the problem, you're already having to play catch-up. Why not walk into it with the wisdom of what to sidestep? Walk into the wisdom to when to wait and when to go. So we invite him into the simple, and then when the struggle arrives, it's like, man, I already planted the oak tree 20 years ago. We talk to him and not just about him. Christians have a very bad habit of this. God will come through for me. Yep, I know my God. He'll come through. He'll come through. Yeah, that's great. God, I know you will come through for me. I talk to him. I don't speak about him. I don't sing about him. I worship you, God. And I direct my, my correspondence directly to you. We also said that if you seek, come on, turn. If you seek the spectacular, you'll often miss the supernatural. And some of the simple ways that God works with us man, are more, more valuable and more heart-moving than the heavens parting and the angels singing and dancing. When you learn to recognize him in the little things, it just moves you on down the road in your relationship. But in every week up until this point, we've been saying, hunger brings us to the table of the master. Hunger brings us to his table. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, and hunger brings us to the table. And so today we need to answer the question, why is that important? You know, coming to the table is the what. Understanding why you should be there will keep you coming back over and over and over again. What happens at the table? When we sit down, as we've said over the past few weeks, we don't come for his things. His things are already there with him. We come for him. And when you're present with someone, when there's dialogue between you, relationships grow. You know, there's, there's friends that you've probably had for a long time that you were together, and you had great moments together, and maybe you haven't seen from for a while. You know, when there's that space... The relationship didn't continue to grow. But when you come back together, you're like, okay, let's pick up from where we were, and now we let it continue to grow. You don't grow in absence, you grow in presence. You don't grow in silence, you grow in correspondence. And so there needs to be connection. And so when we come to the table, our relationships begin to flourish. But the thing I want to focus on today is when you're present with the Father, you recognize where the Father is going and where he leads you to. Because the thing is, we've not called 
visit the Lord, we've been called to follow the Lord. Let's think about that for a second. I'm not to visit God, I'm to live with Him and follow Him wherever He goes. As Moses said, if your presence doesn't go up with us, we're not leaving God. And guess what? The vice versa would have been true. If your presence goes that way, God, here's where I'm going. And so why do we come to the table? Because that's why, where we can recognize where he's going and where he's leading. So today I'd like you to turn over to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at that for a little bit today. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it starts in an interesting way in the story that we're going to do today. And it starts in verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. And it says, Now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. And I, I, something popped out at that. Do you ever wonder why it was after John was put in prison that Jesus stepped out to do what he needed to do on this earth? You know, I believe that there was a natural side to Jesus. He was fully man, fully God, and I believe that Jesus thought in his heart, I'm going to do this with John. You realize when Jesus stepped onto the team, uh, onto the scene, sorry, John already had a ministry. John already had disciples. And I think Jesus was thinking, I'll just work with John. We'll do it together. I'll piggyback on what he has already started. And then when John was out of the picture, Jesus is like, well, I guess that wasn't the right way. You know, how many of us have been there? You know, God is leading you to do something, and you're like, oh, I'll go and help so-and-so. Did he tell you to do that? Then get in the place that he's called you to. You know, I remember for years, um, uh, my goodness, I just completely lost my thought there. For years, Brother Hagen, as he traveled, Keith Moore was right there for 20 years traveling with him, doing whatever was needed, and people would come up to Keith and be like, Keith, you need to go start your own church. Oh, man, everybody loves you. Everybody knows you. You've been traveling with Brother Hagen. you got to go start your own church. And he says, no, God called me to help him. And he helped him until the day he died. And then he started his church, and six months later, there's like 4,000 people at his church. Yeah, that was in his future, but he knew his time was here, I help. And there you got to recognize when, where you've been called to help and where you've been called to lead. And so Jesus, I believe, thought he was going to do it with John. And then when John goes to prison, he's like, well, that's out. I guess I'll go to Galilee. And he starts preaching the good news of the kingdom. Like I said, an odd way to start the story. And it says, this is what he said, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel or the good news. Now, Pastor Robin preached an excellent message a number of years ago that unfortunately was lost, the digital copy, about repent and how what repent means to turn from and turn to. And that we take our eyes off of other things and we put our eyes up on God because he's up. And when you're following him, you come up, up out of where you were, everything that you were bogged down in. We move towards God and up. And so he says, repent, believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. This is him calling his first disciples. He says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. 
And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Such interesting. Immediately. You know what didn't happen? Hey, Andrew, that was pretty cool. Jesus, right? Man, I'm so glad we're following Jesus. Oh, that was a nice cast, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Oh, isn't it good to be a follower of Jesus? No, no, that's not what they did. Dropped, and they went. He called, and they responded. He said, follow, and they followed. Whew. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother, and they were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went after him. Meaning Jesus said, hey guys, come on and follow me, and kept moving. And it said they went like, okay God, I guess we're following you this direction. It says they went after him. And we're looking for God to go after us. Oh, this is the direction I've chosen to go. And God is saying, I'm not in that route. You better come back. And you better get in the place that I told you to go. Because to follow means to yield location to the one who is leading. And when we ignore the table or the relationship, we miss the leading of the master. And that's why it's important that we come to the table so that we can be where he is, going in the direction that he wants us to go in and laying down our own pursuits and our own desires for the desires that he plants in our hearts. But Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. The story started that they found Andrew and Simon Peter, and it says, and they were fishermen meaning they fished for fish. And Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. To follow means to yield vocation to the one who's leading. It's not just about being where he wants you to be. You need to be found doing what he's asked you to do. And for Peter and Andrew, they had to go through the process of walking away from what they've done and what they've known into what he actually wanted for them. And as he goes on, he says, Immediately he called to them, and they left their boats. This is James and John. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat. They left him in the boat. They just left him in the boat. It's like, peace out, Dad, I'm, I'm taking off. And it says, with the hired servants. So here we see that James and John's side of the fishing industry was not just a little rinky-dink boat where they went out by themselves to catch a few fish to make a little bit of a living. No, they were a business. There was the three of them and the servants. And so there was a larger thing that they walked away from. But whatever God calls you to will be greater than what he's called you from. And then Jesus said to them, this is back to Andrew and Peter, Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Meaning they weren't when he called them, but he was inviting them on a journey that would bring them through a transformation to what they would become. You're on a step in your journey for what is God is causing you to become. Don't stop moving. 
don't stop following, saying, well, that step was really nice. I, I like this spot. This is really good. No, if he tells you to step again, you step further, and you allow the transformation process to continue. And that's why the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, meaning he'll give you one. Do the one you know to do. If you don't know what's next, wait until he tells you. Get back to the table when you need to, and then take the next step that he gives you. And so we see this is Jesus calling his first four disciples. And throughout the Gospels, we see a bunch of different, uh, different callings that go on. You know, we could talk about Philip and Nathaniel, where Phil, Philip followed Jesus first, and then he went and got Nathaniel. He said, hey, we found the Messiah, and he's come out of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, does anything good come out of Nazareth? And so he brings him to Jesus, and, and Jesus calls out to him, and he's like, man, you are the Messiah. I see, all because Jesus said, I saw you sitting under the tree when Philip called you. And Jesus said to him, you know, if you think that's great, you're going to see the, the kingdoms of heaven open and angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. You know, we don't get to see that in the, in the, in the Gospels. That would have been awesome to see played out. There's so much more that we didn't get to see out of their relationships with Jesus. Man, there's so many things that others don't get to see about your relationship with Jesus. But it's okay. It doesn't matter who sees. It doesn't matter who hears. You just follow. And so we see the successful followings, and we know there was more than just the 12. There was the 70 that he sent out two by two. On the day of Pentecost, there was 120. We know there was also a group of 500. Beyond that, there was thousands, and at some point, some of them left and stopped following him. And so there was successful followings and unsuccessful followings. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, we see one of those. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Well, foxes have holes and birds have air, uh, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And people use this verse to say, Well, Jesus was poor and he didn't have anywhere, and they were just sleeping out in the fields with a rock. No, he had a house in Capernaum, but at this point in his ministry, he's traveling. He's going wherever God leads him. He said, I got to do the work that God's prepared for me and that's called me into. And so he's traveling. So he's being honest to them. He's like, guys, we don't know where we're going to end up tonight. Maybe we'll sleep in the field. Maybe we'll sleep somewhere else. But are you willing to follow me through that? And he said to another, follow me. And the Lord, he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. He said, I'll do it, but I got some other things I'm going to put first. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And he also said to another, Lord, I, or another said also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first, again, they're putting something else first, go and bid them farewell, uh, let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom meaning God wants all of you. You put your hand to the plow, and you go where he goes. And I like what Jesus said in another one where the disciples said, God, uh, Jesus, we've given up everything. We've given up our families. We've given up our houses. And Jesus said, don't worry. Any of you who've given up anything, you will be repaid. You don't have to worry about what you have to give up. Press forward for where he's called you. Now, the most famous of all non-followings if you want to put it that way, can be found in Matthew chapter 19. And we know the story as the one called the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus, 
And he says, you know, what, what, what can I do that I, I can obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. And he says, oh, all these things I've kept since my youth, which is a lie. No one had. If they had, they wouldn't need Jesus. Jesus had to come and do it because no one else could. And so he said, I've, I've done it all. And Jesus says, oh, that's good. Well, one thing you lack. He said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Now, this is not a request that he made of everyone. He didn't tell anybody else that we're aware of to do this. But this is what had that man's heart. And God will not share your heart. He wants all of it. And so he said, first let go of the thing that you care for more than me. And when the young man heard it, say, that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And so we see there are callings, and say God's saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. But you know what has to happen? There needs to be acceptance of the follow. I will follow you. I'll do whatever it takes. I will go where you want me to go, Lord. I will do what you want me to do, Lord. I will say what you want me to say, Lord. And so follow also means to yield provision to the one who's leading. The rich young ruler would have been fine. He would have been traveling with the one who doesn't know an end to provision. I don't remember a time where Jesus is saying, well, you know, we don't have enough to do what we need to do. No, he takes some bread and some fish, and hey, 20,000 people just got fed. You know, so it meant that he, all he had to do was yield his provision, and he would have been fine. And so we follow in our location. We follow in our vocation, and we follow in our provision. Now, I want to jump over to 1 Kings chapter 17, and here we have the story of Elijah. And to give you a little bit of a backup of what's going on here, is this, the, the nation of Israel is in a bad spot. You know, they have the king Ahab, and just to give you a little bit of a picture of what he's like, his father was a man named Omri. And the only notation really that we have for Omri is that Omri did more evil than all of the kings who came before him. So his father was not a good person. But then when we get to Ahab the son, the one who's currently ruling, it says of him, and he did more evil than all who came before him. That means including Omri. If Omri was bad, Ahab was worse. And so the nation of Israel is in a horrible position. It's not looking good for them. They've left serving God. He's, uh, Ahab has married Jezebel, who's a priestess of Baal. And so things are going downhill very quickly for the nation. And so God calls Elijah before Ahab. And Ahab, Elijah says to him, he says, guys, it is not going to rain one more drop until I say so. Which puts Ahab in a really difficult position, right? Because then he's like, great, normally I would just kill you. But I can't because if I kill you, then it will never rain. Come on, you got to think about the tight spot. So Elijah's like, peace out, rain. Hey, guys, have fun. I'm out of here. And as he goes out, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, It's a good thing Elijah was listening. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here. Everyone say here. And turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink from the brook 
and I have commanded the ravens to feed you. Everyone say, there. He said, get out from here. I'm going to feed you there. Now, that's really important because what happens if Elijah says, well, I kind of like here. There's no provision there. There's provision where he told you to go. There is a place called there for you. There's a place that God has called you to in every season of your life. And when you get in the place called there, that's the place where your provision will be. That will be the place where wisdom will flow. That'll be the place where peace flows. Man, there is a place called there. And you know, the, the reason why I am in this church and in this community, because God has made it a there for me. Because in the generation that I grew up in, when I was going through high school, you want to know what everybody used to say? I can't wait until I graduate so I can leave here. Everybody was like, I want out of this town. And so when, when it came time and I graduated, I didn't have anywhere to go. I was pursuing other things. And, and I, it was about a year and a half after I had graduated. I'm like, man, life is just not very fun. I, what should I do? And my sister said to me, well, her and her husband were, were going down to Oklahoma to go to a conference at their alma mater. And I was like, well, I've got nothing else to do. I might as go with you. And we had a great time at the conference. It was Brother Hagen's last winter Bible seminar that he was alive. And, you know, in between the services, they were heading off to an alumni meeting. And so I couldn't go to that. And I was like, well, I'll just go sit in the park. And as I began to sit in the park, man, I just had the most amazing experience with God. It's like his presence just completely surrounded me. And as I sat there on the swing, right beside the fountains, I just felt God speak to my heart. This is the place that I had called you to. I want you to come here. And I was like, God, I will come here. That was in, in February of 2003. You know what happened when I got back home to Smith Falls? I did not go there. <laughs> I stayed here. And between 2003 in February and September 2005, I have to tell you, they were the most miserable years of my life. It was horrible because I was not in the place where God had called me to. And I specifically remember I was laying on the couch in the kitchen in Pastor Wendy's house, and I was just sitting there doing nothing. And she came up to me, and she looked me straight in the face, and she says, you get up off this couch and do something. Do anything, but you got to get up now. Man, thank God for a good mother that'll kick you in the butt when you need to. And as she said those things, I was like, I'm not in my there. God told me where to go, and I said no. You know, the reason why I said no is because of, at the time that God told me to go, I was traveling in a band with my friends, and we were having a lot of fun. We were in the recording studios, rocking out, having tons of fun, and uh, um, we had a management that was looking after us. We want to pitch you to labels and stuff like that, and my friend had the enough sense first to say, I don't think this is the right path. And so he went to school, and he's a minister in Stittsville now. And so he knew to duck out, but I was stuck there with not the sense to get in my there. And so finally in 2005, I, I, I caved in. I said, God, fine, I will do what you want me to do. And I moved to Oklahoma, and I was there for three years. And as it was coming time, I was approaching graduation, my heart was saying, I will go anywhere but here. <laughs> God, 
I will go anywhere you want me to go, but here, not Smith Falls. I won't go back there. I don't want to go there. I had friends saying, come down to Windsor. I had friends saying, I got a place for you in Missouri. Go wherever. But in my heart, there was a call saying, no, you're going home. You're going back because that's the there that I have called you to. And so in 2008, I moved back here to Smith Falls, and I joined staff with Pastor Robin here, and I've been on there since. But in 2008, I was like, God, I'm back here. I'm single. There's, there, there's no wives for me here. God, let me go anywhere. Come on, let me go over here. You know, I got to go. I, I have to leave here. And the enemy will tell you, you have to go somewhere else to find the thing that you are looking for. Guess what? He's lying to you. He doesn't know how to do anything but lie. You need to be in your there where he's called you to. If you get out of that man, that's not a good place to be. But you're not going to find it in that other place because he's told you to be there. He said to Elijah, the ravens will feed you there. And so I was here and I'm like, God, this is, this is horrible. I, I'm asking for a wife. Please, please bring me a wife. Like, I'll go wherever you want. Well, it, you know, in 2008, it wasn't until 2010 in July. Well, I was doing what I was called to do, supporting those who were in the ministry and doing their things. I was asked, you know, can you come help us at a conference that we're doing just here in Ottawa, not far from here? And I was like, sure, I'll come and help. And what do you know? God had a wife right there for me. And we, we met. We were engaged within a month. We were married in five months. And it was just this quick whirlwind thing. And now we've been together going on 12 years. But it was God. I wanted to be anywhere but here. And God said, no, that's your there. Your location is determined by the there God has called you to, not where you want to be. Your vocation is determined by the there God has called you to. And your provision is assured in the there God has called you to. But if we look at Elijah, God said, get away from here, turn eastward, and hide at the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. You know, the names of things in the Bible are not by accident. They have meaning behind them, and they contribute to the story. And the word Cherith means a cutting away. Elijah was going through a cutting away. You have to understand the position that he came out of. He was the prophet of God to the nation of Israel. Wherever he went, everyone wanted to talk to him. They wanted a word from God. He had prestige. He had power. Doors opened when he entered in to whatever village or town he went to. But God called him to a place where it was just him and the water. And the water is a type of the Holy Spirit, a washing and a refreshing. And at the brook Cherith, there was a cutting away of everything that Elijah didn't need in order to do what God had called him to do. So Elijah responded, he went and he did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and he stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened. Well, the brook, uh, that while, that after a while, sorry, that the brook dried up because there had been no rain on the land, just as Elijah had said. 
And you know what could have happened right here? Elijah could have said, God, I thought you said you'd provide for me here. I thought you said that it would be good here in this there. And as the brook began to dry up, Elijah went back to the table. He talked with the Lord. And it says, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Dwell there and see I have commanded a widow. Everyone say it with me. There to provide for you. God said that your time up here with the cutting away and the refreshing that you needed has ended. I now want you there. And I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And so Elijah gets up and he responds. He didn't say, God, but I've gotten comfortable here. I don't even have to grow food. The, the ravens drop the meat off and there's water right there. It's comfortable here. And it's very easy to get comfortable and you're there. But when God says move, you better move. And so he gets up and he goes down into Zarephath, just like he was commanded. And as he's coming into the town, there's a widow. Amazing. God said, there a widow would provide for you. And here's a widow. And so he says to her, I'm hungry. Can you make me a cake? And she said, well, Mr. Prophet Man, most high of the God, guess what? Guess what? I've only got a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil. And my son and I, we're going to make a cake. We're going to eat it. And we're going to die. But God, I thought you said this was my there and that you would provide for me there. Man, you got to trust the process. I bet Elijah's thinking, God, why couldn't you send me to a rich widow? This lady's got nothing, but you said she would provide. You don't have to go by how things look. You go where you're called. You plant yourself where he told you to be, and you don't move. You don't move until he tells you to go on. And so he says to her, that's great, you do that. You make a cake, you and eat, you die, but first, make me a cake. <clears throat> so she's now got an option. Listen or don't listen. Be obedient or don't be obedient. Follow or don't follow. So she follows. And it says the, the meal in the jar never ran out. And the oil they kept making day after day, day after day, day after day. More cakes, more cakes. And you got to think there's probably more boldness. First time she probably made a little cake. And then looked in, it's like, well, I thought we would have been out by now. Well, make a little bit more. Makes a bigger cake. We're still not out. And you got to think that the boldness as the provision of God one step at a time. And throughout the Bible, we see many people that were called to a there that didn't want to be there. You know, you could think of Naaman, the Syrian general. He had leprosy. He had everything. He, he was wealthy. He was a powerful general of a, of a nation that was oppressing the children of Israel. And he, he, came, he finds out, I have leprosy, and no one can hear, heal him. And his little servant says, but I know of a man of God that can do this. Why don't you go and see him? He uh, happens to work for your enemies, by the way. you got to think, that probably irked Naaman right there. You're telling me I have to go and find a prophet of my enemy? But he went. And he got there, and Elisha didn't even bother to open the door and go see him. He just sent his servant out and said, uh, the dude, the big dude in there says, uh, go wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman's like, heck no, I ain't doing that. And he turns around and he starts leaving. 
He's like, aren't, aren't there better rivers where I come from? I don't want to get in that dirty, stinking Jordan that flows through the land of my enemies who I'm trying to wipe out. No, too bad. I ain't doing it. And as he's, as he's walking away, one of his servants says to him, he says, well, sorry, Mr. Naaman. If he asked you to do something hard, weren't you prepared to do it? And he turned around, and he went and got in the Jordan River. Now think, we now have seven opportunities of obedience. Told him to dip seven times. Probably dipped the first time and said, this is foolish, this is stupid, what am I doing here, why would I do this? Dipped the second time, I don't see anything better, you'd think I'd be improving. Thought that we were supposed to be healing waters, come on. Doesn't this guy know what he's talking about? But no, he had to be obedient to get in the river and dunk first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time, but on the seventh time, just as the Lord had said to him, he was healed. You know, we can look at the story of the man born blind. They asked Jesus, well, why is this guy blind? And Jesus said, it's not his fault, it's not his parents' fault, but because he is here before me, I must work the works that God has sent me to do. And he took some dirt and he spit in the dirt and he stuck it in his eyes and I'm sure the blind man is saying why do I hear someone hawking a loogie in a hand what are you doing hey can somebody tell me what's going on I can't see here and it's like uh, he just took some he made some mud with his, his spit and then he's in his eyes like oh my goodness get your hands off me come on and Jesus says to him Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Why not the Jordan River like the Syrians? Why not the pool of Bethesda, where the angel used to come and stir? Because that's not where he was sent. Do you know what the pool of, Bethesda, or pool of Siloam means? Siloam means sent. He went where he was sent, and his miracle was where he was sent. His obedience brought him to the place sent and that's why we follow because there's a place called there for you get in it stay in it thrive in it be a help in it god i hunger say this with me i hunger for you god i hunger to see your goodness right here in the land of the living i hunger for righteousness i hunger for peace God, above all else, I hunger for you. God, I choose to follow after you. I choose to get in my place. I choose to be obedient. And Father, I thank you that above all else, I seek for you to be glorified. you guys need prayer for anything this morning, our word care team is going to be up here in a moment. They would love to agree with you, believe with you, stand with you in whatever you're going through, good or bad. They would love to be one that stands in the gap on your behalf. But guys, we are living in great days. Follow, listen, and get in your there. Pastor Robin. Oh, glory. You know, to be there is good.
can be tough at times. Amen? But, you know, if that's where you're supposed to be, then that's where you need to be. And that's where all your provision is. Um, you know, uh, most of you would have received a, an envelope today with your charitable receipt. And uh, I love this time of the year because I like to do something with that charitable receipt. Let's pull up the, uh, the scripture here in Malachi. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and, and try me now in this says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the, you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be room, not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall he, shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. <laughs> so I like to take that envelope and I like to say, devil, you're rebuked. Amen. You cannot devour anything of, of mine, anyone of mine. Amen? Amen. I like what it said, how this reads in the New, the New Living Translation. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of the, heaven, of the heaven's armies, you're, back, you're backing, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. That's a promise. So God is saying, try me, test me. And so that's a promise you can do. Amen? It's something you can do. Amen? Glory be to God. So, Father, we thank you that you have made provision. Father, that you have made a, a, a have a plan for us, Father, in, in our giving and our sowing seed. And, Father, that you have a promise that goes with that. We thank you, Father, that we receive of it now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. You are blessed. We'll see you again next week.